0: Chapter 2 of Tales of the Trail by Henry Inman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 El Solitario, the Hermit Priest of the Old Santa Fe Trail. No stream from its source flows seaward, how lonely soe'er its course, but some land is gladdened. No star ever rose and set without influence somewhere who knows what earth needs from earth's lowliest creatures no life can be pure in its purpose and strong in its strife and all life not be purer and stronger thereby owen meredith the tourist en route to the pacific coast cannot fail observing on his right a huge relatively isolated peak cutting the incomparably clear mid-continent sky almost immediately after the train emerges from the picturesque canyon of el Moro and commences to descend the long gradual slope to the quaint old mexican village of las vegas new mexico its scarred and verdureless front blooms up grandly in the beautifully serrated landscape of which it is the most conspicuous object more prominently defined than any other individual elevation of the taos range visible from the point of observation the shadow of its irregular contour reaches far out over the lesser mountains beneath the moment the sun has crossed the meridian of its crest At its foot, grassy little valleys stretch eastwardly, which are cultivated by the primitive Mexicans under a system of irrigation as primitive as themselves, simple earth ditches involving a very limited knowledge of engineering. Foaming little torrents splash and sparkle in the sunshine as they course through the fertile intervals their sources are cool mountain springs hidden in the dark recesses of the towering range which were until the restless gringo invaded the solitude of the charming region at the advent of the iron trail to erect sawmills filled with that most epicurean and gamey of all the finny tribe the speckled brook trout now the disciple of the revered walton vainly essays the streams with elegant modern appliances for lazy methods of angling retiring disgusted as the listless native answering his interrogatory of where have they all gone with a characteristic shrug and his ever-ready quien sabe quietly opens his little ditch to let the tenantless water overflow his limited patch of corn beans and onions maybe in the sad and weird mythology of those strange people the aztecs this storm-beaten spur of the rockies occupied an important place their olympus or parnassus perhaps for not many miles remote on the bank of the classic pecos where lie the ruins of the once fortified chichu referred to so graphically in the itinerary of the historian of coronado's wonderful march in search of the seven cities of sibyla is the reputed birthplace of their culture hero montezuma not to be confounded with the dynasty of sovereigns of that name who was the christ of their faith for whose second advent the pueblos the lineal descendants of the aztecs look for so hopefully with the rising of every morning sun upon the summit of the rincon del tocolote the owl's corner now known as el cumbre del solitario the hermit's peak As this grand old sentinel of the range is called by the Mexicans, an area comprising several acres, there is a remarkable cave. Around this natural grotto, at such a great elevation, are clustered by the simple natives the most cherished memories of the humble and beloved curious individual who once occupied the sequestered spot it is sacred ground with them upon which no sacrilege would for a moment be brooked near its narrow entrance a spring of clear cold water gushes out of the indurated rock which after flowing for a short distance over the rounded pebbles in its deeply worn bed tumbles down the precipitous side of the mountain in a diminutive cascade joining the streams in the valley on their restless way to the sea a few scattered pinions cast a grateful shade over a portion of the generally bald blear level of the limited plain and at regular distances apart in the form of a circle are twelve rude crosses typical of the number of the apostles they were erected years ago by the humble mexicans living in the hamlets below in memory of the deeply religious man who made his home in this sequestered spot and whose name is revered only a degree less than that of the tutelary saint of the country our lady of guadalupe on certain feast days particularly in midsummer large fires are kept burning at night And the devotees to the memory of the cave's once holy occupant long since hastened by the hands of an assassin to the unknown beyond assemble there under the stars and in a most devout spirit perform certain ceremonies with a zeal possible only to the earnest believers in that ancient and widely disseminated faith the catholic religion of the history of this remarkable man who by his exemplary life made such an impression upon the untutored minds of a large number of the degraded primitive new mexicans but fragmentary leaves have been obtainable to intelligently understand even these the reader must let his mind drift backward for more than a generation to the plains of central kansas and learn of his advent into the state as i recall it It was late in the spring of 1861. Our civil war had been inaugurated by the firing upon Sumter, and the loyal states were preparing for the great impending struggle upon the result of which depended the destiny of the republic. Kansas at that time, so far as its agricultural possibilities were concerned, was not materially considered in that connection. It was a remote, relatively unknown territory, it is true its eastern portion a narrow belt contiguous to missouri had a bloody political history beyond which fact it was merely the portal to the vast mountain region on the west to be reached only by crossing the desert supposed to be included within the new state's geographical limits through which ran the trail to far-off santa fe and chihuahua there arrived one morning in the busy little hamlet of council grove morris county kansas during the month of may a strange mysterious person he attracted much attention for he was to the denizens of that remote frontier town as curious a personage as the man in the iron mask or the awkward caspar hauser whose appearance at the gates of nuremberg once startled the good people of that staid and quiet town Ori, with the conservatism of centuries the stranger who came so unexpectedly to council grove in the spring of eighteen sixty one evidently a priest talked but little it was an exceedingly difficult task to engage him in conversation so profoundly did he seem impressed with the idea of some impending danger he acted like a startled deer ever on the alert for an expected enemy and weeks rolled by before two or three of the town's most reputable citizens could gain his confidence sufficiently to learn from him something of his varied and romantic history in a simple sketch as this is intended to be only nothing but a mere outline of his chequered life previous to his advent in america can be presented as it was gathered very reluctantly on his part in detached fragments at odd moments in his erratic moods of communicativeness it certainly contains enough of pathos suffering and tragedy to form the web of a thrilling novel Matteo Boccolini, at the date of his appearance in Council Grove, was about fifty-five years old. He possessed the eye of an artist, a head that was beautifully symmetrical, with a classically moulded face, and notwithstanding his age, his hair, of which he had a profusion, was long, black, and lustrous as a raven's wing yet the heart-sorrows he had experienced were indelibly impressed upon his benevolent countenance in deeply marked lines he was a lineal descendant of trajano Boccolini, the witty italian satirist author of the celebrated raguli di Pazzano, who died in venice in sixteen eighteen Matteo was born about the beginning of the present century in Capri, that charming and most romantic island of Italy, situated in the Mediterranean, at the entrance to the Bay of Naples, twenty miles south of the beautiful city whose name the bright waters bear. His youth was passed on the island, in the city of Capri, the seat of a bishopric there he received his early education devoting himself to the church and commencing those theological studies which were soon to be the cause of his sufferings his wanderings and eventually his tragic death the island of his birth which has so often been sung by the muse is historic as well as picturesquely beautiful it was there that the roman emperor tiberius passed the closing decade of his life and the ruins of the twelve gorgeous palaces he erected during that period are still visible capri too as tourists well remember is famous for a cavern called the grotto of the nymphs or the blue grotto mateo declared it was there that during his youth in the calm recesses and sequestered nooks of that delightful underground retreat he first learned to love the companionship of his own thoughts a desire for solitude and that to him indescribable peace which a life apart from the madding crowd assures it was this strange characteristic absence of that love of gregariousness common to man which earned for him in council grove half a century later the sobriquet of the hermit priest of the santa Fe trail and a year after his departure from that place among his devoted adherents in the mountains of new mexico the more applicable one el solitario the solitary man in contradistinction to el the hermit which he never was in the strict interpretation of the term when but eighteen the youthful matteo left his native island under the patronage of the good bishop who loved him to perfect his education in rome beneath the very shadow of st peter's where he took holy orders at the early age of twenty-one then according to his sad story began that life of stormy passions and sorrowful pilgrimages culminating in his assassination forty years afterwards in the far-off occident he was called by the church father francesco and although so young was noted for his eloquence subtle philosophy and the boldness of his political utterances but notwithstanding his pronounced views the pope named him as one of his secretaries the college of the propagandists however refused to confirm him and placed him under interrogation and discipline he eloquently defended himself and the charges were not sustained the severe discipline ended to which he had been subjected and he was assigned to duty in the purdue of the eternal city in a short time matteo Boccolini's sunny nature and warm passions caused his disgrace he became enamoured of a fair devotee one of his charge a dark-haired lustrous-eyed bewitching creature of the land of the vine alas the too susceptible young priest succumbed to the wiles of the radiant maiden and he fell in a most earthly and fleshly way poor boccalini was immediately and openly charged with the enormity of his crime prosecuted and denounced he was despoiled of his sacerdotal functions and compelled to flee became a wanderer upon the face of the earth supping with sorrow and in despair for companions throughout the remainder of his mundane pilgrimage for a short time after his unwarranted and sinful escapade, he campaigned with the heroic Garibaldi. Then he turned with appealing looks toward America, the haven for all who are oppressed, crossed the ocean, and in a few weeks began his eventful journey on this continent. Never again was he to behold the place of his birth, the chalky outlines of fair, beautiful Capri, which so gloriously begems the Mediterranean the phosphorescent bay of naples the sky the sunshine and vine-clad hills of dear old italy were never more to stir his once impulsive nature or quicken into life his now deadened heart years rolled on youth passed by and middle age was upon the homeless priest when after having roamed wearily from place to place visiting one indian tribe here and another there in the vain hope of discovering some clan or people near unto nature's heart whose souls were attuned to his own who would receive him in the simplicity of his severe and pious penance he arrived among the kaws or kansas whose reservation was in the lovely valley of the neosho a few miles below council grove but that tribe, a dirty, despicable race, very suspicious, and withal not remarkable for their reverence of any religion, did not take kindly to the weary old man who had entered their midst with the purest intentions. His pious zeal, his abstinence and self-denial, made them fear to approach him." they did not understand that when holy and devout religious men are at their beads t'is hard to draw them thence so sweet is zealous contemplation the miserable savages looked upon him the meek and humble pilgrim as an intruder said he was bad medicine so father francesco was no more at ease with them in their rude skin lodges than he would have been in the gilded halls of the vatican he then came to council grove as stated came as the tramp has since come unheralded and uninvited but not to beg bread at the doors of his residence as the latter now does nor did he come to tell off his beads in the presence of the vulgar curious but went upon the hillside beyond the town to seek the solitude and retirement of a natural cave in the limestone rock of the region troubling no one an enigma to the world and a subject for the idle gossip there for five months he lived accessible to but few with whom when he felt and recognized in them the quickened glow of a soul that believed in the fatherhood of god and the brotherhood of man he would talk in tenderest strains of everything that was good true and beautiful The hermit priest, as he was now called, had of earthly possession so little that he could have vied with the lowly Nazarene in the splendour of his poverty. Of crucifixes, devotional mementos, and other religious trinkets, sweetly suggestive of better and happier days, he had preserved a few. His greatest solace was in half a dozen well-thumbed small volumes, between whose covers none peered but himself he was ever regular at his devotions for notwithstanding he had grievously sinned as he declared he was constantly striving to outlive its horrid memory and to repair the injury he had done his master's cause he possessed one article of property that tinges his sojourn at council grove with a delightfully romantic remembrance among the very limited number now living there who knew of the vagaries of the remarkably strange man these were sometimes his confidants and friends within a limited degree It was a rudely constructed mandolin, which during all the years of his erratic pilgrimage he had tenaciously clung to, until its exterior presented a confused mass of scratches and dents, indicative of hard usage. Despite all that, curious as it may seem, by some mysterious means, its rich tones had been preserved in their original purity and depth. On the evenings of Kansas' incomparable Indian summer, during the early part of which season he was living in his cave near Council Grove, the hermit priest, seated on a projecting ledge at the mouth of his rocky and isolated retreat, would sweep the strings of his treasured instrument with a touch as light, deft, and sorrowfully tender as a maiden whose pure young heart had just been thrilled by its first breath of love to those who were so fortunate and they were very few as to be invited to spend an hour with him his vesper hymns rendered in his exquisite tenor voice were as soul-inspiring as the gentle earnestness of a young girl's prayer his sometime neapolitan songs and soft airs of his native isle were as sweet as the chant of the angels he invoked when in a deeply religious mood and his heart-feeling tones mingled sadly with the soughing of the evening breeze in the dense foliage on the margin of the placid neosho that flowed near by thus in the calm enjoyment of his self-imposed solitude he lived with the moss his bed the cave his humble cell his food the fruits his drink the crystal well among the various languages necessary for the communication of ideas between the motley crowd comprising the civilization of the then remote region there was none that matteo boccalini did not understand and speak fluently so liberal had been his education in that particular once when a stabbed and dying mexican the victim of some gambling quarrel among the drivers of the bull train to which he was attached asked a service for the repose of his soul father francesco hastened to the anxious man's side there he administered the last sacrament of the church to the expiring creature in his own language who died with a resigned look upon his face as he listened to the absolving words he could perfectly understand which was a thing of joy to the holy man who had performed the sacred office One day, late in the month of October, now nearly thirty-six years ago, the hermit priest saw walking through the streets of the little village a dark-visaged person, clad in clerical garb, and whom Boccolini believed to be the lover of the woman he had wronged in his youth, and that the stranger, if it were he whom he suspected, could never be persuaded to think that Matteo was not wholly to be blamed for the life he had blasted he told his friends he could no longer tarry with them he would go away to the mountains of new mexico seek another cave rear again the blessed cross emblem of his master's suffering and once more live in solitude from which he had here somewhat strayed he frequently when in a communicative mood had talked much to them of the delights of absolute solitude it was he argued the nurse of enthusiasm that enthusiasm was the parent of genius that solitude had always been eagerly sought for in every age It was the inspiration of the dominant religion of every nation, that their founders were men who, seeking the quiet and seclusion of caverns, or the desert, and subordinating the flesh to the spirit, had visions of the beyond. The veil hiding the better world had been lifted for them, and their teachings had come down to us through the eons, elevating man above the brute the next morning after the sudden appearance of the stranger whose presence had so discomposed the usually calm priest a delicious morning in the month of autumn's holocaust when the breeze was billowing the russet-colored grass upon the virgin prairies father francesco gathered up his few precious relics and accepting the escort of a caravan just ready to start for new mexico left council grove his cave and the warm friends he had made there forever the caravan under the protection of which the frightened prelate went westward was owned by a mexican don a brother-in-law to kit carson he still resides near the spot where the ill-fated italian a year or two after his wearisome journey across the great plains was hurried to eternity This venerable Mexican and old-time voyageur of the almost obliterated Santa Fe Trail, when I last visited him at his hospitable home in the mountains fourteen years ago, entertained me by relating some of the more prominent characteristics of his strange compagnon du voyage during that memorable trip with the hermit priest from Council Grove more than twenty years previously he said that the strange man would never ride either on horseback or in one of the wagons despite the earnest invitation extended to him each recurring morning by the master of the caravan preferring to trudge along uncomplainingly day after day during the sunny hours beside the plodding oxen through the alkali dust of the desert and faltered not neither would he at night partake of the shelter of a tent constantly offered but as constantly and persistently refused preferring to roll himself up in a single coarse wrap seeking some quiet spot removed from the corral of wagons where for an hour or two under the scintillating stars he would tell off his beads or accompanied by his mandolin chant some sad refrain to the virgin until long after the camp had gone to sleep for his subsistence he himself caught and cooked the prairie dog ground squirrel and gopher only occasionally when hard pressed would he accept a meal which was constantly proffered by the mexican teamsters begging the hermit priest to share with them for in their love for the catholic church to which they were so devoted he seemed to their untutored minds a most zealous but humble exponent of their religious tenets and visible form of their sacred faith thus reticent thoughtful and devout he marched with the caravan for many weeks until at last the city of holy faith the quaint old spanish town of santa fe was reached There he parted company with his escort, and for nearly a year afterward wandered all over that portion of the territory of New Mexico and into Arizona, still seeking the Alnasher of his dreams, a suitable abiding-place in the recesses of the hills, and a people whose souls might be made to attune with his. But he miserably failed in all that he desired during his sad pilgrimage throughout the southwest, then turning northward again he slowly and almost despairingly retraced his steps until he arrived at the sequestered valley of the Sepillo, where he at last found a humbled class and his coveted cave on the summit of the mighty mountain described at the opening of this chapter There, content after so many years of unsatisfied wandering, he commenced that life of religious ministrations, and exercised those unselfish acts of kindness and love, whose remembrance is imprinted so indelibly on the hearts of his devoted followers, for through suffering he soothed, and through sickness he nursed there again under the constellations which nowhere else shine more brilliantly were the strains of his mandolin and the rich notes of that magnificent voice heard by the enchanted people who listened each evening at the doors of their rude adobe huts in the valley below the huge hill that cast its great shadow over them notwithstanding the hermit priest had found a class congenial to his soul's demands his eccentricity still clung to him his persistency in living apart from his chosen people enforced them to always speak of him as el solitario the solitary man he would visit among them to solace and nurse the sick and give absolution to the dying which his and their religion so beautifully promises but he would never break bread within their hospitable doors preferring and insisting always upon a crust and a cup of cold water outside nor would he sleep upon the soft woollen colchons which even the poorest of new mexican homes afford but absorbed by devout thoughts wrapped himself in his single coarse blanket and laid himself on the bare ground or if it was stormy in some outhouse with the sheep and goats this of course was part of his self-imposed penance from which he never deviated rigorous as it was one day after his familiar and beloved face had been missed for more than a week by his devotees a sorrowful party went out to seek him they found him dead on the rugged trail to his lonely home his beads enfolded in his delicately shaped fingers and his countenance wearing a saint-like expression a poisoned dagger in his heart by the hand of an assassin had accomplished the foul deed which for a whole lifetime during every moment of the unhappy man's active and dreaming hours was a continually disturbing fear thus passed away as he had predicted in his youth the eccentric but holy matteo hermit priest of the old santa fe trail and the el solitario of the new mexican mountains a man of sorrow and grief yet with as much repentance and as many penances as sins one of those ethereal beings who might become physically unclean but never spiritually impure For years after his departure from Council Grove, the hermit-priest's cave was an object of much interest, until within a very short period, when the quarryman tore down its last vestige, upon its time-worn walls could be traced, rudely carved, his name, Matteo Boccalini, a cross, Jesu Maria, and Capri, all so dear to the lonely and sad man's heart. End of chapter 2